Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great pleasure to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Stephanie Welch. Stephanie Welch is a documentarian and executive director of Paragon Media, a nonprofit media organization that is the co-producer of A Dangerous Idea, a film that you should see. And the website is adangerousideafilm.com. Welch is also senior producer at the nonprofit Bioneers and produces the award-winning syndicated program Bioneers Radio, Revolution from the Heart of Nature. She co-produced the radio documentary BioWars, First Do No Harm, which won a NFCB Silver Reel Award. Welch is also audio engineer for Women Rising Radio. Stephanie Welch, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David, for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Uh, All tips are welcome. You may know more about radio than I do. What is the basic idea of of this film? Yes, um, it basically looks at how uh, biology and genetics have been used in the United States specifically to justify inequality. Um, since its inception, actually. And uh, we, we look at the history of that, but also how those themes and those uh, that kind of pseudoscience is, is uh, threatening to be used more and more today to justify inequality that we're seeing, you know, the worst since the Gilded Age of, of yesteryear. <laughs> so that's really the, the gist of it. It's... You know, genes is so much a part of our vocabulary and and our thinking. Uh, it, it's the the word genes comes up uh, every day with with hardly a thought, and yet there's a an assertion in the film that someday we'll look back on genes the way people look back on royal blood or measuring skull sizes as a, as a sort of a, a bigoted pseudoscience. Is that is that really likely to happen? <laughs> well, I guess that's our hope, <laughs> if anything. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, you know, when we were making the film, we saw the challenge of the the embedded nature of the whole concept of a gene, how it's so much a part of our lives, and we've just come to, to use the term interchangeably with DNA and heredity as if they're all the same thing. And, um, you know, it, it's a big, it's, it's so embedded that, that we found it's really difficult to make a film about it, frankly, um, because what we do is question the whole concept of a gene that we were taught about in school from a Mendelian point of view. So we look at the concept of the gene and, and the history of how it came about, um, the political uses of the concept of the gene to make people, um, to teach people that, that there were, just like we were told in Mendel. Um, Mendelian science with plants, that there are big chunks of heredity, basically, to put it crassly, um, that are passed from parents to children that can't be changed. So if you have a gene for this or a gene for that, you know, there's a certain permanence that's understood, a certain programming, depending on which metaphors you use, we use over the century to refer back to this idea. And, you know, what we've found is that, um, as you see in the film, is that it we just can't use that term anymore to mean what we thought it meant. And that in fact, we pose, we say, we argue it's a dangerous idea because it really reinforces this notion that we're born who we are and that we can't change and that, you know, opportunities can't change our lives and things like that. So it's, um, it's, it's a very problematic term we feel. And, 
we still, as long as, as long as people are using it as if it were a reality in our lives, especially in terms of personality, we're talking about here, personality traits, behavior, that kind of thing. We feel that um, it's really dangerous and that we're hoping that the more people understand about the complexity of biology, that this term will fall away like it did with, uh, with some of these older biological ideas that we don't believe anymore. It's sort of explained in the film that the concept of of the gene predated any sort of uh, biological or chemical observation of anything that could be identified as a gene. It, it, it It's a, a theoretical concept, right? It's not something that was discovered in a laboratory. Exactly, yes. It came up as an idea, and then over time, people were experimenting and doing a, you know, a scientific approach. At least proposals as to what that might be, that entity, which, and it came about, interestingly, we didn't get into it in the film we wanted to, was, and it came about, you know, after the atom was discovered. So a lot of people in biology were apparently very interested in finding a similar type of building block of life that they were finding in the inanimate world, or in that larger inanimate world with the atom. And um, so there's an interesting history there yeah. of. Uh, these things coinciding. But but we but we I mean we hear about genetically modified foods and they certainly seem to be modified. Uh, is there is there no reality there? Well, that's I think that's where the term gene. That's where we want the conversation to go because um, you know in the in the Mendelian Mendel himself, we don't believe and there's no evidence that I've found believe that he discovered uh, when he discovered these these um, elements in plants or elementae or as he called them or different people called them that, that he was discovering the secret to human heredity. Um, there were some, some traits that would be passed on in these patterns in, in pea plants that right. seemed to have, you know, a, a sort of predictability. So, you know, when it comes to things like, you know, whether or not your body, if you have a DNA mutation that causes you to not be able to get rid of ammonia fast enough in the body or blood clotting like hemophilia, you know, where you have something, a specific DNA mutation that's directly related. You know, we tend to use the word gene for that, but in the way that we're discussing it in the film, it's really about traits, personality traits, um, behavioral traits that are so complex that the concept of a gene uh, being attached to that is just so crude and, and so wrong. So, so there is a lot of tweaking that, that, um, scientists have been able to do on a very, if you look at the last 30 years or so, it's a very minimal amount of success that they've had, if you want to call it success. If you call it success, um, herbicide-resistant plants, if you want to think of that as a success, right. which we don't, um, that's really the main thing they've been able to do in the in the world of, of GMOs and food. Beyond that, it's a small amount of virus resistance here or there, but it's very simple kinds of things. Even that, so I should say simple even that's complex, right? So the idea that you'd be able to engineer intelligence into a child or anything on the face of it, if you know about the lack of success they've had in the world of medicine and and um, plants, it's just hilarious on its face. <laughs> and the, the 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 genome project that you discuss in the film, I, I guess the expectation was with DNA that it would that people would discover something within DNA that explained all these human traits that can't that don't need to be explained in vegetables and uh, and and other creatures and and yet they actually found uh, you say in the film uh, that that humans have one fifth as many DNA sequences as wheat 
and 90% of them are identical to those of mice. So it, it's hard to it's hard to see how human traits can can fit in there at all. Yes, I mean it, it's it was so shocking. This is what prompted the film, and we wanted to make it back in 2003, I guess, when they finalized the project. They announced it in 2000 um, that we've finally discovered what we need to know. And then the more they looked at it, the more they were like, whoa, wait a minute. <laughs> we don't have 100,000 genes, as they're calling them. Yeah, I mean, and if you look at them, they initially there were a lot of arguments from scientists saying, well, it's really not about the number of genes. That doesn't matter as much. It's the, the unique genes that we have. And then they find out that they're not so unique. We have 50, 50% the same as a banana. So where, you know, it's kind of crazy. And then they said, oh, okay, well, it's all in the regulatory system. So that's where the complexity lies in, in humans versus other creatures. And that's where a lot of the effort's been going is in the regulatory systems. Now they're they're going in beyond, beyond in so many different ways that they're using the term epigenetics to basically, um, I say they, meaning numbers of scientists are talking about the complexity of biology they're finding in, in ways that are pretty simplistic for a general audience, I think. Um, it sounds like they're making a lot of progress, but from what we understand, it's that basically we're back 100 years to where we were with Mendel and understanding heredity. We really don't understand how it works. And, and this notion that we found the secret of life or the code of life and DNA has, has definitely been debunked. And even many scientists, as you'll see in the film, we found on the Genome Project website itself, a series of short videos, which might still be up there, where they start discussing the term gene and what does it mean now with uh, all these findings. And many of the scientists are saying something like, you know, it's like art. <laughs> you know, we know it when we see it. We know it's you know, yeah. up to your interpretation. And so this is a, it's a big upset that isn't really being talked about now. Uh, well, maybe this film will open some eyes. The film is A Dangerous Idea, and the website is adangerousideafilm.com. We're speaking with Stephanie Welch, a co-producer. Uh, the film makes the case that the, this science of, of genetics and its sort of predecessor or earlier name of eugenics uh, uh, has been driven by interests of of inequality, of plutocracy, of racism and bigotry, uh, and yet we we tend to think of scientists as at least believing themselves to be working purely for knowledge for its own sake. Uh, but we see some of the same advocates for these theories are the same individuals who are the leading scientists, including the discoverers of, of DNA. So are, mm. are, are scientists hoodwinking us? Are they hoodwinking themselves? Are they kidding themselves that they're just disinterestedly after pure knowledge? What's what's going on here? Well, I think, as you can imagine, I, I, from my, my point of view, it runs the gamut. You know, you've got a lot of scientists who are, are really just really in it to understand the mysteries of biology, and they don't have a, a, a viewpoint, or they're not coming at it from a necessarily political viewpoint. Of course, everybody's got their own biases and everything, moving it, going into the laboratory. But but as you see with the history and it's you know beyond genetics, I guess even larger scientific projects in the United States over these decades and centuries, you know you've got vested interests who really have the handle on the purse, you know, the money that goes into it, and tend to fund certain things that that support the dominant you know, paradigms of the day, and that's what we argue in this case in the early part of the century. You know, the Gilded Age, there was inequality. We have it worse now than it was then, if we can imagine that. I haven't even grasped that myself as I look at all the numbers. But 
it was it was pretty bad at the turn of the century, and they were looking. People were looking for explanations as to how can this be the American dream when you have such vast inequality with so many rich people, so few rich people and so many poor people, whatever. Um, <clears throat> it just so happened that the gene concept appeared at this time, and people latched onto it. Some of the scientists at the Cold Spring Harbor Laboratory, Harry Laughlin, who we really highlight in the film, but as well as Charles Davenport, who was the head of the lab, were the biggest scientists known at that time in biology. And they grasped onto this, you know, with a fervor and a belief that they had found the secret to everything and claimed that they had basically using Mendelian science that they could predict who was going to be an alcoholic. They wanted to sterilize people who were not only people who were deaf, let's say, but even family members who might be carrying a gene, a, a latent or, a, you know, in the Mendelian sense, the gene that wasn't expressing itself necessarily. Right. Um, recessive gene. <clears throat> and so you see, definitely back then, we actually had a really hard time finding anybody who opposed eugenics in the first half of the 20th century. There were a few scientists and biologists who said, look, we don't have the science yet. But the overall belief that we were driven and controlled by our genes in that way and heredity was pretty strong. And, and we couldn't really find anybody except the Catholic Church and G.K. Chesterton in England, actually, who was a vocal critic, wrote yeah. a great book called Eugenics and Other Evils, which everybody should read. Um, but yeah, so we, we see over the time, over time, science, the people who fund science and the institutions tax dollars going into this stuff. You really, a lot of people we talked to said you can't get any funding if you don't have the word gene or DNA in your funding proposals, things like that. So I don't know, you know, I think it's a real gamut of scientists who are in it for purely, you know, scientific reasons and don't really want to use it for anything um, like eugenics. But then there are plenty of people who have those biases, who have power, who are controlling the person and others who are very willing to be the scientists who claim that they found all this this evidence. Yeah. E eugenics, I guess, the film touches on this, was got a bad name in the United States from association with, with Nazi Germany, at, at least after the fact. And uh, and yet it's, it's interesting uh, that the film actually uh, discusses that uh, eugenics was very popular in the United States before it was in Nazi Germany, uh, and that it shaped U.S. immigration policy, I, I would say, right up to this day. Uh, and and the rejection of the Jews, the the salvation of which uh, any high school class in this country will tell me is the reason why World War II was justified and why wars therefore can be justified because of that war to save the Jews. And when I tell them there were conferences held where the nations of the world refused to accept any of the Jews uh, and ask them, why do you think that would have been? They have absolutely no idea. So uh, do you think that perhaps not only eugenics had to change its name to genetics, but history had to be forgotten uh, because it's not a, it's not an acceptable part of, of U.S. history. It's not in textbooks in any school I've seen. Yes, and looking, I think, I agree, and I think looking through the archives over the years and the first part of the century, <clears throat> excuse me, we, you know, it was shocking how much this was being discussed in major newspapers and editorials. Um, it's It was such part of the popular mindset that, that for it to have been erased after the turn of the century is pretty shocking, you know, that the, particularly the focus 
that you're talking about, um, the scientists here and their connections with eugenics from the early part of the century before Hitler ever came about, um, how that was embraced, how much the uh, Jewish people were rejected, children. They even rejected a huge number of children. We cite this story. Um, and some people estimate that, you know, at least a million or two million Jewish people perished because uh, we didn't accept them here in the United States and other countries, perhaps, too. I don't know if that total is just the U.S. or, But our laws, our laws from 1924 were very much shaped by, um, I think Albert Johnson was a senator who hired Harry Laughlin, who was at the Cold Spring Harbor. He's the biggest eugenics promoter in the country to basically justify uh, keeping, you know, using racial quotas, so to speak. And um, he went, he traveled to Europe. He found all sorts of used IQ tests and everything to try to find reasons to uh, stop European, Eastern Europeans and Jewish people from coming in and successfully argued along with some other eugenicists who testified and got helped to get that law passed that that only was overturned when Johnson, uh, President Johnson came into the office, into office in 65. And, you know, people don't know that history. It's, it's amazing to me that I never learned it either. No. It's amazing to me that we don't, and it's not being talked about more. I do see some of that discussion happening in the news with all of the restrictions that the Trump administration has been putting on and promoting um, people are going back to that time period and saying, look, we've, you know, we've done this before and we can't repeat this. For sure. I don't know any reason to limit it to two million lives that could have been saved when Hitler said he would put them all on luxury cruise ships and send them anywhere that would take them. And it had <laughs> right. no had no reason to be lying. I don't know how many luxury cruise ships he had, but had no reason to be lying. And it and it could have been done. And the, the British government and the American government had no interest in doing it. Um the, the, a, a lot of this was was driven, the film shows, by the desire to, to depict people, as you say, as, as inferior and incapable of bettering themselves for hereditary reasons. But then uh, you hit on some obvious examples that disprove, I mean, the great society programs under Lyndon Johnson that are featured in the film, uh, the film says reduced poverty in the U.S. by 40% quite swiftly without altering any any genes or any hereditary material. Uh, and... And and yet scientists didn't take that data and say, here's new information to consider as we try to get at the, the truth about the world. Uh, they took that as as reason to to you know defund those programs and and make yeah. make sure people were poor again. Uh, yeah, they were too successful. <laughs> right? Uh, how? I mean, that doesn't seem like you know tradition. The traditional model of objective science. Uh, to, to take that information and not completely rework your thinking. Yes, and this was part of the, which I didn't realize too at the time until we did some research, this was part of the conversation. As you see in the film, there was a clip that uh, we found of a yeah, War on Poverty campaign ad, I think, that that mentions, you know, showing young poor children and saying, you know, this isn't heredity. It's being passed on, you know, not through biology, but through circumstances. And so they were delineating in uh, the Great Society time that, that we can't be blaming people for being poor and saying that it's just something inherent in them that they just can't make it. And uh, 
And so then we see, like you said, that the success of these programs really challenged power structures. They were not happy with the idea for a lot of technical reasons that were fascinating to me. And I know a lot of a lot of scholars have done so many great books on this, of looking at the war on poverty and breaking down what happened. But, you know, it comes up with labor, with um, some of the Head Start programs that were happening in Mississippi and in the South, really empowering communities, black communities. And they had big problems with it in the white power structure there because of all sorts of reasons about labor costs and all this stuff. It really, you know, these things are so fundamental to uh, notions of where do we spend money? Where do we, where do we foster opportunities for people? You know, and if you have a bias that says that biology is really, you know, determining who ends up where in this, in this society, then you've got people making decisions even unconsciously that will say, well, and, and we saw directly with, with Nixon saying, no, the Head Start programs are a waste of money because, you know, these children aren't going to be anything anyhow. Forget about it. It's not going to happen. So we're not going to invest in them, you know. And so we saw those things happening then, and I really do believe that it's just a huge amount of unconscious bias in that direction that people aren't even aware of. Yeah. It it also seems to me that U.S. academics like to look at this 4% of humanity here and say, well, look how unequal the United States is. That's human nature. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if they have to avoid looking at the other 96% of humanity, who presumably are some part of whatever in the world human nature is supposed to be. And uh, and I wonder, I mean, you didn't do this in the film, but I wonder if you couldn't have easily looked at other countries in Europe, for example, that uh, took great strides swiftly uh, to reduce inequality uh, and are, in fact, uh, much more equal uh, right now without having to do any historical research than, than the United States. Yes, no, I think that's a great that's a great point. We we should have been we should have gone outside the United States to show that sort of um reality and the rapid changes that happen, you know, um in any place where equality like you like you're saying, with the head start with a great society. Yeah. You see the results, you know, and so this idea, this notion, you will hear some arguments from people like Charles Murray, and others who say, you know, well, you'll have these small short-term benefits when you have uh, social programs, but basically people just go back to the same habits and the same character, <laughs> flaw-driven, you know, Once actions. you defund the programs. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, but I know I agree with you. I think it would be good to for people to understand that outside of that. Now, some of those, sometimes they'll start talking from racial points of view and say, oh, well, those are flatter societies because you've got a more homogenous population. And what's what's problematic here is the United States with all its diversity and multiculturalism. I mean, you see these sorts of arguments coming up with um, a lot of the white supremacist uh, revival in the news of uh, them speaking out, and they'll say, no, it's our diversity is not our strength. It's our, it's a, that's where the inequality is inherent. And that's why we're seeing the kinds of, you know, concentration of wealth in the white a richer, you know, world versus uh-huh. the rest of the population. So it's a very interesting time right now for these discussions. I think you, you, in the in the film, uh, you have footage of both uh, President Reagan and President Clinton uh, praising racist nonsense from Charles Murray uh, as mm-hmm. as justification for tearing down welfare. 
which uh, of course has has caused uh, all kinds of suffering uh, and and deaths and amounts to a, a sort of a, a, a gradual form of, of eugenics. Yes, you know when we found the Clinton footage, I was shocked. I, I you know it came up in a fairness and accuracy and reporting article. I saw a quote which led me back to the footage, and it was really a shock. I, you know, as we shortly after that, I believe uh, Clinton. This is President Bill Clinton um, spoke out against the bell curve and said, which was the book by Charles Murray, claiming that poverty was driven by genes and especially uh, racial inequality as well. But also the book was really focused and it kind of got lost, focused on class and saying that poor pe- people are poor because of their genes was his main argument um, that, you know, so Clinton did speak out about that and said, no, it's nonsense. But in this case, he was focused on specifically on cutting AFDC and the recommendations of these massive cuts that Charles Murray had been promoting since the 80s, early 80s, um, embraced that, knowing the racist source of, the, of that material. I mean, he says, Charles yeah. Murray, you know, I agree with his analysis, you know, it's, it's what to do about it. And that was shocking. And so we, we really wanted to make sure that people knew this was not just a anti-Republican film, the pro-science film, we're looking at, we're looking at, we're not biased in one political way or another, except to say, what is the evidence and where do we go from there in terms of resources? And that's what we're trying to show is Republicans, Democrats alike have done terrible things to slash programs that um, were perfectly uh, good and doing, doing good for the world. So yeah, everybody should check out Clinton. And we saw the welfare reform bill, of course, that came out that ended up in at least, I think, 2 million children living on less than $2 a day or something. We cite the statistics there. Yeah. Shocking. Well, it was good of him to come around to criticizing the book. He might have come around to not acting on its uh, policy recommendations. Would have been even yeah. better. Um, we've got just a, a couple minutes left. Uh, why, why doesn't everyone see uh, the view that you're promoting as incredibly good news, which I think it is, that in <laughs> fact people have incredible untapped potential and can become uh, such wonderful things beyond our imagination uh, based on uh, how they're raised and educated uh, and treated in, in society. Why isn't that terrific news? That's a really great point because we, we always feel like the film could be a bit of a downer because there's just so much historical and even current stuff that is pretty shocking or depressing. But no, I think you're, re- you're right. It is such an important message. And, you know, part of it, I think we, when we talk to people on the street, we've done lots of, um, you know, people on the street interviews and just over the years talking to people and people really want things to be deterrent. You know, they, they're comfortable with the idea of having some predetermination as much as people don't want to admit it. Sometimes it's sort of safe. But this idea that we don't understand how heredity works, that we don't really um, know what's going on, and that the responsibility really is on all of us as a community to create the society that we want and that we believe in, if we really believe in equality and the American dream, the only argument against that is a biological one. Yeah. You can't, you, you really have, that's the only argument, and that's why people like Trump, who you see in the film, and, and any kind of leaders who want to justify it somehow that's the only argument they have and so we always have to guard against it and like you said really you know show that the science is there to prove that it isn't like that that we are dynamic 
creatures that can really control our environment and you know right. really foster community. Well, I encourage everyone to see the film. It's called A Dangerous Idea. The website is adangerousideafilm.com. We've been speaking with co-producer Stephanie Welch. Stephanie, thank you very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you, David. Thank you so much. And when people go to the website, you know, please, if you have any trouble with links or anything, let us know. We're, we're still forming our, our um, campaign here to make sure everyone can get access. We're on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and all that kind of stuff. And we'll be doing screenings across the country, so just stay tuned on the website for that. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.